0: Lord Jesus, we thank You for this day that we can celebrate Your resurrection. We thank You, Lord, that as we worship, You are here with us by power of Your Holy Spirit. You are closer than the very air that we breathe. And I pray, Lord, that You would make Your living presence known in our midst this morning. Lord, we thank You that during this brief time together, We get to lift up our voices and surrender our hearts and do what countless other people around the world have already been doing this day, worshiping you, the risen King. Jesus, we thank you for all the churches surrounding us here in Charlotte that are meeting this hour and some later. We ask your hand of blessing to rest upon them. May you meet your people in all of the churches around us. Lord, may You do a good work in Charlotte, and may Your Word go forth. So we thank You for our brothers and sisters who are worshiping in other churches this morning. And we thank You, Lord, that now we can turn our attention to Your Word, and we pray that You give us ears to hear Your voice, the living Word. It's in Your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, I love Easter, and I'm so glad that you've chosen to spend this day with us. It's been said that Easter is the New Year's Day of the soul, and I like that because we celebrate on New Year's Day. Easter is the New Year's of the soul. Our hearts should well up, and I've been praying all morning that we might experience resurrection joy together this morning. You see, every other Sunday that we meet during the year, in fact, you could say all of Christianity actually hinges on what happened on this day about 2,000 years ago. You see, Christianity, if, if you're here and you're not familiar with what it's all about, at its heart, Christianity is not primarily about teaching. It's not primarily some kind of moral improvement program to fix you. It's not primarily a self-help And I mentioned first hour that this week, just reading news online and things, I came across this one article that was talking about ironic situations people found themselves in, and somebody went to a library to get self-help books, and they snapped this picture because you can see all the self-help books are on the top row, and yet the sign (laughs) says very clearly, you need to ask for assistance (laughs) if you want to reach the books on the top shelf. Christianity is not a self-help program. It's not teaching. It's not moral improvement. What is it? At its heart, what we celebrate today is good news. That's what Christianity is before and over everything else. Yes, there's teachings. Yes, if you follow Jesus, your life will improve. You will get better. But at its heart, it's good. It's the best news ever. It's news of what God has done for you. It's tied to the resurrection and the cross. Uh, We've been in this sermon series at Stonebridge that is ending today. Next week we'll start the Gospel of Mark, but for the past few months we've been looking at this series of, we've called it When Jesus Says Amen, because when we say the word amen, it's usually at the end of a prayer. We did that just a little earlier when Doug said you had one line, you know, amen, at the end of the prayer of confession. That's how we usually use the word. Jesus used it differently. In fact, he's the only person in the New Testament that you will see starting sentences with amen, and he did so to emphasize that what I'm about to tell you is very important, You want to listen to this. You want to pay attention to this. It's kind of like if if you're back in college and your professor says, Class, you may want to take notes on this because you know it's going to show up somewhere later. So Jesus would begin with amen, and our translations will say verily or truly or assuredly, but it was his way of saying what I'm about to say is of particular importance. And so we're going to look at one of his amen sayings this morning in the book of John. And actually, this morning, we're only going to cover two verses. So don't worry, it's not just a five-minute sermon. It's not a 50-minute sermon either. But we have just two verses that we're going to look at, one of his amen sayings in conjunction with what is probably the most famous verse of the Bible. And when I say there's a most famous verse of the Bible, I bet a lot of you can already guess what that is. It's found in the same chapter as this amen statement of Jesus in John chapter 3. The amen statement comes in at verse 3, and then the most famous verse of the Bible is verse 16. You know it, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. I think it's so well known because this is like a one-sentence summary of what Christianity is all about. It's a one-sentence summary of what the Bible is all about in some different ways. And what I want to do this morning is point out what I believe are two amazing truths in this verse. And the first amazing truth to me is this, is that God loves sinners. And you may be saying, okay, well, I've heard that phrase before, God loves sinners. I may even believe it to be true, but where does it say that in John 3.16? Well, it's right there in the opening phrase, for God so loved the world. Because the Apostle John, when he used the word world, he didn't mean for God so loved plants and animals and creatures across the world. He does, but that's not what John means. He doesn't mean that John loves all, that God loves all people everywhere. That's true, but that's not what John means. When John uses the word world, he's using a technical term to refer to people in the world, which is everyone, but people with a particular bent in life. John says God loves people who don't love him. God loves people who are determined to do life their own way, following their own path with little or no regard to God at all. These are the kind of people that God loves, who ignore Him, who don't care about Him. And and let me me flesh this out even more because when I say God loves sinners and loves the world, that means that God loves loves the person who this morning, if you were honest, you'd say, I'd rather be watching or playing golf than sitting in church this morning. I know there's someone out there. Doug told me he was that No, God loves the person who'd rather be anywhere else than church this morning. God loves, you can think of it in a different way, the self-righteous man or woman who thinks, well, you know, I've been really good, and, you know, God owes me something, It's the people that we get really irritated at. We always feel judged by them. God even loves the self-righteous man or woman who acts like God owes them something. This is much deeper, though, than just that. God loves addicts. God loves thieves. He loves liars, adulterers, prostitutes, and even the prostitute's pimps. God loves the murderer the gang members of MS-13 who are just a few miles up the road from us. He loves the woman who has had an abortion. God loves lazy people, greedy people, proud people. He loves atheists who don't even believe he exists. God loves the person who cheated to get ahead in life or betrayed someone in order to win. He loves the people we love to hate. He loves braggarts. He loves selfie queens. He loves perfectionists and pushovers and even the downright crazy. He loves bullies and tattletales, the passive-aggressive, the narcissist. He loves those who worship a sports team more than they worship him. He even loves people who worship a sports team like the Patriots. It's incomprehensible, I know. He loves the selfish, the rude, the entitled, the know-it-all, the person not in your political party. He loves even those who willfully hate him. Because God loves the world, sinful humanity, and here's the good news. You know, I, I mentioned all these different categories of people. The bad news is we're in there somewhere, and you know, we tend to minimize it. Well, I'm not as bad as so and so. Well, that doesn't matter. We are all in this group of people that John labels the world—people who would rather go about life with no thought, little thought, little love for God at all. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. God loves you. God loves you. That is an amazing thing. It's the first amazing truth of John three sixteen. And, and some of you, I know, because you've grown up in church and you went to Sunday school and you're like, but I thought God hated sin. He does. So you're like, how do those two things go together then? God loves the world, but he hates sin. It's, they're not mutually exclusive, You know, if you're a parent, you know this. I have four wonderful daughters whom I love very deeply. And yet, very occasionally, they choose to willfully do things that they know are wrong, even when my wife or I have told them not to. And at those moments when they have heard the words of truth, and they go and they go their own way, in that moment, I love them and I'm angry at their decision. You know, it's, you can if you've been in a love relationship, you get hurt by somebody. You can love and be angry at the same time. So God loves people, but He is angry with sin. You see, the Bible tells us that God loves sinful humanity, and because of that great love, He provides us an opportunity to be at peace with Him. A dear friend of mine in this church told me that he was a grown adult and he had never heard the concept that God loves you until he went to a Reverend Billy Graham crusade. And it was when he was a full-grown adult, for the very first time he heard this amazing concept that God not only knew his name, knew him personally, but loved him. My friends, God loves you. That's an amazing truth from this passage. No matter your background, no matter your history to this point in time, God loves you. And that brings us to what I think is the second amazing truth in John 3.16, which is God demonstrates his love in that he gave his one and only son. You see, Jesus is the demonstration of God's love for us. God doesn't just say He loves you. He doesn't just have feelings of love for you and say, now go figure it out. Work out your salvation on your own. Good luck with that. What He does is He acts on our behalf. You see, our sin separates us from God. That's the really bad news. We're all in that world, and our sin, it separates us. It cuts us off from Him. But God doesn't leave us there. He sends, you may have heard the King James, his only begotten. That word, it simply means his unique son. That's why the NIV translates it his one and only son. What he does in his love is he provides the solution for our desperate situation. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to think about an enemy you have, all right? Maybe it's just someone you don't like and don't act like you don't have someone you're not that righteous. Who's somebody that when you just think about them, you get a little ticked? It, it may be a coworker. It very easily could be a politician. I could just start naming names. And I bet something in your gut will screw up a little bit when you hear a certain name. Maybe it's a Hollywood elite, someone who's always telling you how you should live, like Gwyneth Paltrow is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Think of someone that when you think of them, you're just like, you just have a little bit of loathing for them, even if you don't know them. All right, now that you have that person in your head, imagine that very person is dying, and the situation is they need a heart transplant in order to continue living. So let me ask you this. Would you choose to help that person in ways that are very costly to you? Would you sacrifice... For his or her own good. Would you do that knowing this, that if you choose to help them, it may actually cost you all you have, and it will definitely cause you unthinkable suffering and loss? Still want to help them? Would you be willing to give up what you treasure most in life so that their life could be saved? would you give up your own heart for them to live and be in them a few more years? It's not a complete solid analogy, but that, that just in a way gets at what God has done for us. We were His enemies. And apart from Jesus Christ, everyone is because we're in sin. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the amazing giving love of God and Jesus. This giving of God, this giving up, this giving away of His only Son, it began years earlier in Bethlehem when Jesus was born and then laid in a cradle of wood. But this giving love of God was not complete until Jesus was killed in Golgotha. Laid on a cross of wood as he took our sins upon himself. You see, the cross is a perpetual reminder of just how much God loves you because on the cross, Jesus took your sins on himself. We are all under a death sentence because of sin. And God doesn't just overlook our sin. He doesn't just brush it aside or ignore it. To do so would actually make him unjust. No, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. That word perish means be condemned. He gave his son so that you would not be condemned but have eternal life. On the cross Jesus was condemned on our behalf dying as our substitute. Do you guys I know you have to be older to remember this product this is how I give away my age in different ways. Whiteout. So back in the ancient days of manual typewriters, when you had to write an essay for class or whatever, if you made a mistake, you basically had two choices. You could retype that whole page, and if it was towards the bottom, that was a real pain. Or you could grab this invention. It was, If I remember correctly, it was invented around 1966. Somebody stumbled upon it, invented a wipeout. What you do is you basically paint on a little bit of white, you back up the typewriter, and you retype whatever you messed up. You could tell. You could see it. Well, many years later, getting beyond whiteout, some genius at IBM developed what was called the self-correcting typewriter. And I remember my parents had one of these, and I... I'd go to school where my dad worked, and I'd play on the uh, self-correcting typewriter, and just it'd be amazing. You mess up, you'd go back, and I was typing nonsense, but it was just fun to watch it. I wasted ribbons of the self-correcting tape there. Wouldn't it be great if somebody could invent self-correcting people? Yeah, you know, and here's, here's kind of what I mean by it. You know, so when you when you do something, immediately you can push a button and it goes back and it covers over what you just did or said. You're just like your mother when you act that way. (gasps) Back up, back up, self-correcting. Let me do that over. (laughs) The problem is this. You can't invent a self-correcting person because in sin, we'll never be self-correcting. We're always self-destructing is what the Bible says. And even even the person who says, no, 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 I'm going to show God how good I am, and I'm going to fix my life, the Bible says, you know what? That amounts to filthy rags. It's not worth anything. So we're in a very desperate situation. But God, just using the analogy of inventions, God's given us the most amazing invention of all, grace, shown through his giving love of Jesus Christ. You see, at the cross, not only is our sin covered by Jesus Christ, Jesus actually absolves it. He pays the penalty for it, and he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. And the resurrection, what we celebrate today. So what's the big deal about the resurrection the resurrection is the proof that God the Father accepted the work of Jesus on the cross in paying for our sins. And so Jesus rose from the dead, conquering the power of sin, the power of death, proof that what he did, it was good and it is finished. That's the good news. And that's why you cannot separate the cross from the resurrection because they don't make sense. Without the cross, okay, Jesus rose from the dead. Yippee. It makes no sense. But neither does the cross make sense if there's no resurrection. They go together. They're two sides of the same coin. Jesus, today we celebrate has defeated sin and death. This is the depth of God's love for us. This is the good news. And you say, great, we can all go home happy, right? Not yet. One, I'm not done speaking, so. But the Bible actually tells us there's, there's something more. In fact, the, the good news is really, really good news. It's great news, but something's expected of us. You see, earlier in John 3, in his conversation with Nicodemus, in which all of this happens, Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, amen, amen, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Amen. Nicodemus, this is important. Amen, says it for emphasis. No one, can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And right here, just like we have no power to create our own birth, you didn't choose to be born. You can't choose to be born again in a sense. You don't have the power in and of yourself to create a new birth. And what Jesus is saying, you need a radical change, and a radical change that you can't create on your own. What Jesus is doing in making this statement is He's giving a full-on assault against people who say, no, no, but I can earn it, but I can be good enough. He's like, no, you can't. It literally takes you dying to your old self and being born anew. So how does that happen? How does spiritual birth come? It's what John 3.16 says. It comes if you believe in Jesus. Notice what it says. Belief. Not, okay, here's the Easter message for you. Go home and be really nice people. Go home and try your hardest. Give your money away. Do good things. Pray a whole lot. And maybe, no, no. it doesn't say any of that. It says, believe. Believe in Him. You see, the good news is, through Jesus Christ is as wide as all of humanity, but it's also as narrow as those who fully trust in Jesus Christ. The gospel is offered to all, but only those who will humble themselves and say, I need and I trust in Him experience the good news. So my question this morning is, do you trust Him? I very unashamedly ask you, if you never have done this, put your faith in Jesus Christ today before you leave this room. If you want to experience the love of God fully, believe in Him. Trust in Jesus. And maybe maybe the sense of urgency is compounded by some of the things I've been thinking about this week. I have friends who are Battling terminal diseases. I think about what happened in Egypt last week on Palm Sunday when Christians are gathered in churches expecting just to go through a period of worship and they lose their lives because ISIS members go in and blow themselves up. My friends, the reason this is urgent is we don't get to choose the day we die, death comes for everyone. And you don't get to say, well, I'll choose it when I'm in my late 80s and I'll die peacefully in my sleep. Maybe that'll happen, but that's not our choice. Any one of us could lose our lives today because God says today's the day. Today's the day. And so that's why I unashamedly urge you, if you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, let today be the day of salvation. Maybe this morning, through a song, through the reading of a Bible passage, or even in a sermon, you've sensed God speaking to you somehow. And and usually, when you sense God speaking to you, it's not like you heard some audible voice. But maybe you've sensed that you want to be free of the guilt of your sin. You want to have the hope that is mentioned here. Maybe you've had a sense this morning that maybe God's really there and maybe he's calling me to himself. Maybe your sense is, "Ah, I feel like he's calling me to trust in him. Don't ignore that. Today can be the day of salvation. And in a moment, I'm going to give us a chance to pray and put our trust in Jesus Christ. What I want to do before that, though, and we'll end this way, because I know in a room like this, And I've talked to far too many Christians who they feel like, but my sin, you don't know how bad it is. It's really bad. I doubt you could shock me. Here's the good news. No one is beyond the love and grace of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask our music ministry team to go ahead and make their way up. And here's what I need you to do because this is hard when you see bodies moving and all that kind of stuff. Stay with me for a moment, if you can. If you are here today and you doubt, I want to believe God loves me. I don't know that he really, can he forgive me? I've blown it. I've really sinned. Let me give you a few examples. Remember Peter? Peter told Jesus even if all these other guys forsake you, not me, Lord, not I, I'm your man. And what did he do? Around a fire, a young girl asks him, aren't you one of those? No, not I. He denies it vehemently three times, so much so, he was so had to deny Jesus, the Bible tells us he started cursing Jesus' name. This is Peter, who's followed him for three years, cursing the name of Jesus, and then the rooster crows. What Peter learned after that, though, was God loves sinners, even sinners who cursed the name of Jesus Christ and denied him, and he found grace. This is the apostle Paul, knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus. If you don't know Paul's history, he was originally named Saul a zealous Jew. And what he was doing when he heard about this new way that was out there, Christians, he couldn't stand them. And so he went out and he got it written up that he could start putting Christians in jail. And then he decided he could go even beyond that and he started murdering them. Here's a man who has blood on his hands, killing Christians for their faith and he meets the risen Savior on the road to Damascus, and what Paul learned that day was God loves sinners, even sinners who've killed his dearly loved children, and he found grace. Here's a guy that I bet a few of you in the room would recognize. This is Brian Welch, aka Head, guitarist, singer, co-founder of the you can call him rock, you can call him metal, the band corn. Brian Welch was living the rock and roll lifestyle in every way you can imagine. Cost him his wife. He had a young daughter. He almost lost his daughter. Literally, she almost died because he's so addicted to meth. His his life was plummeting. And he will tell you, he knew he could do nothing about it. He tried. He tried many times. He couldn't do anything. And then one day he goes to church and head heard God loves sinners. And Brian gave his life to Jesus Christ. And even to this day, and you can, there's a website called I Am Second, which you can hear his whole story God loves sinners that even have been addicted to everything you can be addicted to, have endangered their children, and all kinds of other things. Brian Welch learned grace comes to the worst of people. Here's a guy that looks just the opposite of Brian Welch, a guy named Steve Brown. Welch has a head full of hair. Steve has head with little hair. He kind of looks like a grandfather. He has a voice that's very deep. I happen to know Steve, and the reason I use him is this. Steve was a pastor at a church in Boston, and he didn't know Jesus. He's up there preaching sermons and all that kind of things, and he'll tell you, I was a religious professional. It wasn't a great choice because there's not a lot of money in ministry. <laughs> but here was his problem. He was a good man. Yeah, He had, he had done things like we all do, but you know what? He's a pretty righteous guy. He was pretty self-righteous. And then one day he realized how sinful he was as the gospel penetrated his heart. And God took a smug, self-righteous guy like Steve Brown and said, I love you because God loves sinners. Here's one last illustration. We could go on and on. This is Chuck Colson before Watergate. Chuck Colson was special counsel for President Richard Nixon. He was known as Nixon's hatchet man because he was so brutal, so ruthless in what he did. Well, he fell in Watergate, and before going to prison, he became a Christian. And a lot of people wondered, was it genuine or not? But in prison, he did find Jesus truly loved him even a guy who was notorious across this country as being one of the most evil men, he found grace, and he found God loves sinners, even like Chuck Colson. You see these guys over here? They're sinners. I know, because I work with some of them. God saves sinners like them. God saves sinners like me. God loves you, and God has shown his love for you in sending his only son to die on your behalf. Do you trust in him? After Colson got out of prison, he started a ministry to prisoners to share the gospel with them because he so wanted men and women to know the hope and the freedom and the life that is found only in Jesus Christ. It's real It will change your life. You have to surrender to Him. The Boston Globe wrote a story about Him, and they said this, if Mr. Colson can repent of his sins, then there just has to be hope for everybody. There is. There's hope for you this morning because God loves you. God loved you so much that He gave His one and only Son that if you would believe in Him, you will not perish. And today, eternal life can explode in your heart. Trust in Him. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and if, at any, if in even the slightest of ways God's spoken to you somehow this morning, calling you to Himself, just pray with me. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of putting our trust in Jesus Christ You don't have to, I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm not going to make you raise your hands or anything afterwards. This is between you and God. But today can be the day of salvation. Would you pray with me? Lord, I believe that I am far less perfect than you. In fact, I'm sinful. And because of my sin, I deserve to be separated from you. I believe that I cannot fix this problem on my own, and I actually am in desperate need of You. Today, I trust that You love me in spite of my sin, and that You have shown Your love in sending Jesus, Your only Son, to remove my sin by His death on the cross, Father, I trust in His perfect work and I trust that in Him I am forgiven and that now I am your dearly loved child. And Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, Amen.